it should be interesting because it's uh, going to give Everfund a run for its money in terms of biggest, most sophisticated Redwood app. Everfund is increasingly getting more complex by the day. <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> My first podcast, I think. Ah, that's super exciting. First off, so Tharshan, I got that. Has the last name pronounced? Tashi Mutalingam. Mutalinga? Mutalingam, as like with an M in the Mutalingam. Yeah, that's right. Tharshan Mutalingam. Please just use my first name whenever it's like something's public. <laughs> just like I never say my last name. All right, so we will just say Tharshan, welcome to the show. Tharshan, welcome to the show. Hey, everyone. Thanks for having me here. Really excited to have you here. We're going to talk about lots of cool stuff with the project you're building, which you're building with Redwood. But before we get into any of that, why don't you first let our listeners know who you are, what you do, and we can get a little bit into your background. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Dashan, and currently a SaaS founder uh, working on my own product. This is my second product that I'm working on, and that's a bit about me. Cool. What was the other product? I currently work on uh, Scrum Genius as well, which is a asynchronous stand-up solution that's integrated with Slack and Microsoft Teams, etc. Before we can obviously talk about Redwood and how I believe that you are on the same hand as me as a Redwood Power user at this point. We're in our own league. We're taking it in the crazy route. But first, I've had quite a story on how I moved to Redwood and Redwood has helped me over at Everfund. You've built user vitals from scratch. You're not really built a second version. So when we talk about Scrum Genius, how is that built? And if you could rebuild it today, would you rebuild it in Redwood? Scrum Genius is built in a very different architecture and technology stack. So I'm quite familiar with the Python ecosystem. And so Scrum Genius is built with Python and Django. And I actually use React on the front end. I think if I had to, I wouldn't redo it because it would be a lot of code. And there's a lot of reliance on the back end a lot more for Scrum Genius. And there's a lot more need for like server side stuff, if that makes sense. Like a lot of like back and forth. One of the things that drew me to Redwood was the tight integration between the front end and back end though. And that's one of the key things that I had trouble with on the Python and Django side. The front end was almost like a separate beast compared to like the Python and Django side. Yeah, it's a really common theme that we hear, except instead of Django, it may be Rails or just like some sort of very built out server side type framework, which were created to kind of be their own thing and were created a decade before React even existed. And then you take a React front end and then you try and stitch them together and then you find all these weird kind of edge cases. So I'll be curious, like what were some of the challenges you were running into trying to do that? Trying to use Django with React, you mean? Yes, exactly. Uh -huh. I did it in a different, slightly kind of interesting way where I would hydrate the state. So all of the ORM layer or the data or the business logic would happen in this view. Django works in a very like similar MVC type of framework. Django would have a view where all of the data would be generated. And then what I would do is actually like ship that and hydrate that to be loaded on the front end. So the React would hydrate the state and then render that stuff. So there was always a little bit of a challenge between like, if I wanted to add in some interactions, oh, okay, should I do an API endpoint for that? Or should I just do a request response type of cycle here? There was complexity when like more interactions were added and a lot more handling of dynamic data. If you want to do like modals and stuff, there's more complexity in that. You ended up spending a lot of time both on the front end and back end. There was not a lot of connection between them. They were completely different code bases almost. 
it still confuses me sometimes how like you could build your back end in another language and your front end in a different language because I'm a JavaScript purist and you can uh, type check me on that one. <laughs> it was difficult. I think when I would sort of bring in people who were external to the code base who have just used it for the first time, that was definitely a difficulty training them up and like upskilling them. Like when I've hired like interns in the past, that was like a key difficulty where this technology stack, they had to kind of learn like two different things entirely from scratch, both the front end and React and stuff. And then the Python and Django side. I think my familiarity with Python and Django helped a lot. And so like a lot more business logic was there in the application. And then the front end was really just like a dummy container that was just rendering the data. So how did you originally discover Redwood? How'd you first hear about it? I think Redwood's been something that I've discovered over time. I've been seeing it in some of the early releases and I've been reading on the blogs and kind of reading the tutorials on and off. I think I originally discovered it through Twitter, I think, or potentially like a dev to your blog post. Yeah, I've just kept up with it. I think when user vitals came about in terms of me having wanting to work on something new and having that idea, I definitely reached out to Redwood like first to truly see if I can kind of figure out a prototype for that intersection between having that closer relationship between all these different tools like Prisma and the React side and both that front end and back end being very close together and like in the same stack was very appealing to me. And certain concepts it had such as sales and stuff was very appealing and like it was like a clear pattern that made a big difference in terms of how it would go about developing applications. One of the reasons I would say you would be a power user of Redwood is I know you use your Redwood application on subdomains. And this was a big thing that you've spoken about in the community. You seem to be one of the first ones that have done it. I sometimes still think like, how do you even do things like subdomains? Like how do I let someone else use my service with a C name? Is it as simple as just saying point to this C name? These are questions that sometimes are quite hard to answer, I guess, but sometimes they're probably a really easy solution. I hear a lot of developers asking about this quite a lot in lots of different technology stacks. So I think each technology stack solves it differently. I believe that if I'm correct, Laravel or another solution framework, they handle this as like a key part of the framework, subdomain routing, but many of the technology stacks don't have this built in. Yeah, you are right in terms of the high level of way it works. The customer would add a C name to their record in the example of user vitals. When you sign up to user vitals, you can select your subdomain. Like it'll be redwood.uservitalshq.com. But if Redwood wanted to go on their own custom domain, they could put it on feedback.redwoodjs.com. They could also put it on roadmap.redwoodjs.com. We've actually implemented a a way that it's completely self-serve on our side. So you can implement it, you can go do all the SSL on the side, on the background and verify that. But what the user needs to do on the other end is they connect their C name, which would be our C name is, we'll provide that and you add that to your DNS. It could be like a cloud provider, such as like Cloudflare or Namecheap, et cetera. And you would add your host name to that. Do you do any of the complicated logic that some businesses do further, such as verifying that you've added the C name or, or do you just say add the C name and then it should just work in 20 minutes? This is actually one of the key things I moved to render from Versal because they provide a private API right now. It's in beta at the moment, but they provide an API where we can use a GraphQL endpoint to essentially add custom domains to our application and the, they will take care of the SSL verification and 
actually check if the DNS has been set up correctly. So on our dashboard, we can kind of display those two flags in terms of like, has the SSL been set up? And then is the domain check valid? And is it being resolved? They handle a lot of that stuff and yeah, they offer unlimited uh, custom domains. Whereas I think it's, it's a lot more complicated with Versal or Cloudflare. You generally need to go on the enterprise plans to do that. Just before we move on, when you mean like things like Versal, Netlify, you mean like you move your name servers to Versal, Netlify, and then obviously start adding your records. But to gain access to that API, you need to necessarily be on Versal's enterprise tier, but with Render, they have it on a lower tier. You could realistically support up to a certain amount when you're starting out with a feature like this to take some requests one by one, do them one by one as a, just handling them manually. So you go into your virtual dashboard, add them to your DNS one by one. But having this auto kind of done completely self-serve in the dashboard, I know with Versal, I believe there's like a limit of 50 domains you will hit. I don't actually know about the private API, even if they have one. I'm sure they have one for enterprise customers, but yeah. Cool. Or it went very deep, very technical things. Let's take it back a few steps and first let our listeners know to set the context. What is User Vitals? User Vitals is a feedback collection tool. The way that I built it out uh, when I was building my previous product, quite often customers will submit quite lengthy feedback suggestions through a support ticket. In my case, I was using Help Scout. That's actually the tool of my choice for my ticketing. Many people use Intercom and lots of other tools. Some people even just fall back to email. Often those suggestions had like a really key insight. It might not be the whole thread or the conversation. You sometimes need to go back and forth with them. There's often key insights and quotes that you can take from the customer that you probably just want to take and keep around. So what I would end up doing is moving that and copying and pasting them, pasting that into Trello, pasting that into kind of Notion and other places to kind of keep track of it. User Vitals is a platform where you can take that in key insights and kind of manage that. In a way, User Vitals is a feature management tracking process. So what User Vitals does is it integrates with all these inbound partners. So we integrate with Intercom at the moment, we integrate with Slack, we integrate with HelpScout. We're working on a custom API and a Zapier application as well. So wherever you're getting feedback from, you can add those key insights through any platform you're collecting feedback on to user vitals and track that against who actually left that feedback and how important it is to them. So whether it's a blocker for them, whether it's a critical kind of suggestion, or it's just a nice to have for them. Who do you think it's kind of aimed at? Do you think it's aimed more at developers or maybe more business-minded people? Do you think it's who's the target user for user vitals? Let me just go back a little bit in terms of describing the key value proposition. So I think when you're starting out, when you're a startup, you're kind of concerned usually about getting more feedback. Part of that is we have tools to enable the collection process of feedback a little bit easier. So we have built out a customer portal. So that's actually what I talked about a little bit earlier, where every customer gets a customer portal that's branded to them. So they can upload their own logo. They can choose the themes and custom colors that suits their brand. And then there is like a roadmaps solution that customers can submit and even see which items. The difference is that the admin will be able to just decide what feedback or what roadmap item that they are deciding to choose to be public. The other key value proposition of the tool is actually closing that feedback loop. So often when you finish implementing some sort of feature, you often need to go back to the customer. Most companies will often do this by implementing sort of like a change log monthly release. But sometimes you need to like, just let the select people, groups of people that those feedback came from to let them know about 
here's what we did. We've actually put it into beta. We're just letting your small group know, and then you might decide that you'd want to like release that feature into a public release later on. It allows for those workflows to happen. User Vitals is made for really anyone in a product role, PMs, founders, and even customer success. Our system has inputs like the Chrome extension integrations with Intercrom and HelpScout, and more so that other team members can contribute input and they view the feedback. Roles like customer support, even the engineering development teams, they can view that feedback and see what's the real use case behind this engineering request. It's great when you're scaling up and trying to organize all your feedback in one insights in one place, but it's also great when you're just starting out and using the customer portal to and the feedback widget to entice more feedback to come through. So you can encourage more feedback to come through and reduce that friction for your customers to give that feedback. One of the things that I saw with user vitals is that you use JavaScript over TypeScript. <laughs> That's an interesting question. And I get why you laugh because TypeScript is the additional thing. But a lot of people that I've seen, and even I use TypeScript in a bigger project. And sometimes I think, do I really have benefits over TypeScript in things like my larger project? My question to you really is, have you ever felt so far that you needed TypeScript yet? And has it necessarily hindered your application being just pure JavaScript? There are certain parts of the code base, such as the Chrome extension that uses a lot more TypeScript. Don't ask me why. <laughs> it's just gone that way where we've done a lot more TypeScript and uh, typing on the Chrome extension side, where we needed to make sure that it worked 100% of the time. But yeah, the Redwood side, I would say, I think it's just the speed I've been developing at and the speed that we've been going at, that I felt like it was easier just to straight away build with just JavaScript and not think too much about the TypeScript. But it is something I want to get to in the future to sort of put in more TypeScript and putting a little bit more typing in so that we have a good confidence that the properties or the, a specific component is expect, accepting these properties and this is the way it should behave. And it probably will make it easier for testing and such a little bit later on. So I think really the answer is like probably pure laziness. Yeah. It's one of the big things that is with Redwood that TypeScript has been a bit rocky at times with Redwood and it's got a lot better in the last few months and it's still got a little bit further to go before we're at 1.0. I don't necessarily think you've done a bad decision by not picking TypeScript right now because you get tons of errors that are like, this totally works even though it's an error right now, but we'll just ignore that. One of the things I also know that you've done in user vitals is iframes. So what's your opinion on iframes? They're a necessary evil, I think, when you're developing features such as User Vitals has, which is embeddable widgets. And I think, Chris, you have this in your product too for the donation link for Everfund. The real crux of it is that when you have an external script, external styles being loaded on additionally to an existing page, and you don't want those styles and scripts to conflict or that business logic to conflict or the styles to conflict in any way, having an iframe is actually a really good option. You have a couple of codes to jump through. There are some things that make it difficult between, for example, communicating between iframes. You have to usually use some message parsing kind of option to go back and forth between the connection between what's happening inside the iframe versus what's potentially happening on the parent page, such as if you wanted to do callbacks or load a particular widget with some configuration on the parent page and then the iframe component and the widget can like load that based on the parent page. There is some complexity there, but for better compatibility for any external application, whether it's a single page application or a, just an HTML page, there's definitely like some benefits there. 
Are you looking forward to portals? I think the way I've gone about building the widgets is that it is using a very, very light JavaScript footprint. That's where I've gone about doing it. So I'm not even sure that I would add in a full-on React area, if that makes sense. We're talking about W3 portals, not React portals. Ah, okay. And certainly not GraphQL portals, which is another thing as well. When I say W3, I more mean Google Chrome portals because Google is the ones pushing it. It's basically like, in terms of what they talk about, and it's really worth looking up, it's still in early beta. Is it origin trials, they call it? Say you want to share to Facebook. We'll take that as the most typical iframe you can get in the modern world. You want to share to Facebook. What the navigator actually does with portals is it basically says open Facebook in this kind of UI that's popped over the page and the navigator now treats it that you've opened Facebook. Then once you're finished doing what you need to do on Facebook, it closes the portal and you go back to the page you're on. Kind of like what we expect most pop-up iframe models to. I kind of keep looking at it with envy because I have dabbled around with iframes. I've spoken to you about them. It's a project that we really do need in Everfun. It keeps going back and forth on like, I keep making progress and then putting it to bed for a little while. Keep making progress, putting it to bed. But portals seem like the most logical way going forward to do iframes, as in ones that you want to have a little bit of extra connectivity with the outside world and then close. It's not necessarily something that is embedded in the website in like the web page, more like a pop-up, if that makes sense. For pop-ups, that seems like a really great solution. The portal would be something that actually the application itself controls. Yeah. It wouldn't be an external script. Okay. When Chrome is out with it, you literally just tell it to open a portal to this URL and it will handle everything around it, like blurring the background and the width and the height and the fun stuff that we still have to manage right now. Yes, I think a simpler way to do embeddable widgets would be amazing too, because right now, <laughs> the way that most applications do this is that they generally implement a loader script, which potentially would set up some sort of shim and take some uh, config or looks for some properties and then actually loads an iframe actual widget and then kind of optionally like listens for interaction events in the parent page or inside of the iframe and uh, does the interaction. So there's definitely some complexity there to try to communicate between the parent and the actual iframe stuff. Exactly. And the biggest thing is, as we said about communication, in the terms that we tend to forget that, say we're going with the most typical one that I said, you click a button, a pop-up happens. Now inside that pop-up, you've just had a bit of JavaScript code that made the pop-up, popped it open. Now it loads an iframe. Then once you do whatever you want to do in that iframe, now you need to communicate from the iframe back to the website saying, I've done what I need to do, now close the pop-up. That sounds really easy, but it's not sometimes. It can be quite complicated to talk between browsers and windows and all that fun stuff. 100%, yeah. And there's definitely some features that we're exploring. It's like, I think it'll be awesome to embed the portal as an option, as an embeddable. So let's say like Everfun was using user vitals, like let's say you had a feedback page or a roadmap page. Instead of it going to our own custom portal, you could take out the header, take out the footer and just keep like a certain part of it. And then you could, you could apply your own base styles and then that way it looks like it's part of Everfun. 
that's something we're looking into. But I think the real solution there is probably iframes. Is that technology that just doesn't disappear and it pops up in tons of different areas. One of my favorite things that I noticed about iframes was an implementation that I've hardly seen before, but it's probably done a thousand times, Tailwind UI and how they use iframes in their application. Because if you don't know, when you use Tailwind UI, you can obviously view the component and then you can copy the code. But when you're actually viewing the component, what they're actually doing is injecting a really small HTML file into the iframe inside the web page. Really quite interesting. And it's kind of easy to replicate if you want that same kind of iframe functionality in your own application. But it still involves like loading three different libraries to make it quite easy as like iframe reframable, iframe loader, iframe amazing. Like they just go on sometimes. Iframes. The tricky thing is always that parent to iframe component communications. For example, like we may want to allow for single sign-on. You generate a token on your side for single sign-on for like an Everfund user, and you just tell like load me this roadmap, but have them logged in automatically, so they don't have to do anything. That takes like quite a bit of communication back and forth to verify that token is valid and like loading that versus what to do, like logging in that Firebase user and like doing that stuff. My last question to do with iframes is. What are you loading inside the iframe? What kind of technology does it look like? For me, I pick Next.js. Our whole portal system that we would use with in iframes would be Next.js. Is yours built in Redwood? You know, it's pretty basic. I think we use like a light flavor React. So it's called Preact. And it's like a very light version of React. Yeah, it's by Jason Miller on the Chrome team. Yeah, definitely. So that's quite useful because it gives us kind of a lower footprint, but it allows us to keep the same uh, benefits of the development environment because it's quite close to what we would do with Redwood. And so there's like quite a lot of code shared between them. But no, it's not Redwood. It's really just a simple React app communicating to the Redwood API. That's awesome. We do a lot of the same kind of things. We use multiple clients, communicating through GraphQL. And that was one of the biggest things that actually sold me on Redwood because I was deciding that when I was moving from Gatsby to something a little bit further forward, like Blitz and Redwood, they were both still quite early. And the biggest decision that made me pick Redwood over Blitz was the GraphQL API because I knew no matter where we would go with the application, it would still be expandable. That's not, not the case with Blitz. It's a slightly harder if you want to just add a random client because it doesn't speak the universal language of GraphQL. And so far, GraphQL has paid dividends in my application with its extensibility using other things like GraphQL Mesh. That's a good segue. Did you look at other full stack React type frameworks? And did you evaluate them against Redwood? My main two choices were Next.js and sticking with Django and Python. I've used Next.js for consulting work before and past projects. But similar to what Chris said, like the Redwood, it really attracted me because it was felt like a whole package. I actually didn't explore many other full stacks because I felt like they were all quite new and quite new to that stage. You know, it felt like everyone was at a similar pace, if that made sense. For me, I felt like I went with something that aligned with my philosophy of the way that I like to develop in terms of having a little bit of convention and best practices and a specific structure to follow. That's actually one of the things that Django does quite well. There's a specific structure that you follow for doing specific things. And there's a quite a bit of batteries included. They, they usually say Redwood felt like that too. There was like a good emphasis added towards the developer experience. 
Yeah, it's cool. And it sounds like if you're into full stack server rendered kind of frameworks like Django and you're looking for something kind of like next, Blitz actually might have been a very good choice for you, but that'll be an alternate universe we'll never be able to explore. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, the primary goal was just getting something that was speaking the same language on the back end and the front end. And what really, really, really attracted me to Redwood was having that GraphQL connection in the Prisma ORM and that tight connection between everything. Having just specced out uh, services on Redwood, adding the SDL type definition, and then just going to your front end and just having that order complete on the front end and just having that ready without any further work is awesome. It's like a great developer experience. But it is a bit dangerous because I remember doing a database module in education programs here in the UK twice, once in college, once in university. That can be quite confusing to someone who's not from the UK because college is university. The thing is, what I was taught in college and then university, a high school, then college, was that you had to get a piece of paper, plan it out, write the relations, totally understand your database. And then we're in 2021 where you just kind of assume that Prisma will work out for you. You just say what you need and the rest happens in the background. And it's yet to bite me that I don't really have a full SDL diagram of my database. Is it something that I should probably have? Maybe? Yeah, I think it's helpful. I do have rough SDL diagrams that I've got. But yeah, I think Prisma, you're right. Like I think when you have a tool that does a lot of heavy lifting for you and it almost like does a lot of magic for you behind the scenes, it's really important to like understand the fundamental concepts behind databases and SQL because you can write very inefficient and slow queries, whether it's on the ORM layer or you design a model that is overly complex without thinking about normalization or demon normalization in terms of the relationships and the type of queries you're doing. For example, like if you're querying a specific field and you haven't indexed that field, then it's definitely you're losing a lot of performance there that you might be able to gain otherwise by indexing it. Making sure that you're always referencing and querying by IDs wherever you can, because it's a primary field, it's already indexed by default. I personally also haven't found Prisma to buy me too much. I do wish that Prisma is a little bit more clear on the relationships between two different models, especially between when you have many to many of the same relationship on the same model, because you often have to have like a decorator that says like, this is the relationship and you need to like decorate them manually. It can be confusing. And I also have a really small nitpick where it will auto create the backwards relationships for you and auto complete it and put it in, but then it will make them like camel case so it would do like a capital letter first and then do it you know even everything else is like lowercase for me it does certain things that is quite magic i would say but it's as long as you have those database fundamentals i think you're generally good when we talk about performance problems just swapping to mongo fix that that's a joke i don't know i don't ask me i'm looking forward to really prisma catching up to the rest of the orms out there for me like better json b support being able to search inside a json b structure and filtering inside of a JSONB structure and not just like updating or creating and like, you know, overriding stuff. Better support for aggregations and, you know, summarizations of tables and like things like that. They're doing, definitely doing more of that. And like they're shipping really fast on like some of that stuff and they're catching up quite quickly. Yeah, though, I think it's not quite on par with the Django ORM yet. That's like the true ORM master for me. My one nitpick with Prisma is the command that's literally Yarn, Redwood, Prisma, Migrate, Deploy. Please, someone shorthand that already. 
Yes, yes. If we could look at a glass ball and you could decide the 1.0 of Redwood, as in what does it need in terms to, for you, I'm sure I have my answer, but what would you say Redwood is critically needing right now for it to just make you so happy? There has been some roadblocks I've been hitting recently with certain things I needed to do. So for me, I'm getting to that stage where I need to sort of process applications in the background in terms of functions and background functions and scheduling, being able to run certain tasks in a specific schedule. I've often had to reach for sort of third-party dependencies, but I prefer to usually use an open source library that I can rely on self-host rather than really rely on an external service for this. For me, one of the big roadblocks I've run into where is being able to access the Redwood files in a node script. There's various use cases for this, but being able to run this in a CLI, quick scripts that you can run on the command line that have access to the Redwood services, the database and other things so that you don't need to recreate them from scratch. And I think having that would help. And I was recently doing an experimentation on just, it's called Factory. So there's a pretty well-known background task scheduling library. I believe it's called Sidekick for Ruby. And then the author of that made a version that can be used for any programming language. And it's called Factory. And so the way it works is that you have a client and then you have a worker. So the client can send messages and usually I think factory comes with the Redis built in. So when you run the Docker image, it will just run that and it will run the kind of the scheduling. It also comes with an admin interface, which is really nice. So it shows you all the scheduling tasks and the queues and how many tasks are in the queue and things like that. So one of the things I had issues with is just, there's no way right now to run that worker script and have access to the Redwood files at the moment. So if I wanted to sort of execute as some sort of service function for a particular call back to a queue or worker script. That's, there's a little bit of a blocker. So I think being able to do that would be awesome. You should be talk to Rob about that because he has repeater, which I don't know if you've checked out all, but that's a whole background job kind of queuing thing, which is using, I think, Sidekick, like you mentioned. So that would be the closest thing to a, a native Redwood solution for that. I definitely don't think Redwood itself needs to handle or have first-class support for scheduling or background queues. It's definitely out of the scope of Redwood itself, but being able to support additions of libraries that are like long running and being able to like support use cases for like CLI scripts, command line scripts. So let's say I wanted to like have certain like scripts that I'm going to run to populate my database in a specific way. We have the C database right now, but being able to run it with like just my own custom command line scripts would be awesome. Django has this concept called management scripts where you can just put a particular py file in a folder and it will just become a management script. That just it gets exposed through python manage.py and then just whatever you want, whatever the name is of the file. Seeding data is really quite a complicated matter. Peter Pistorius is obviously working on a product, Snaplet, to help with that. Our solution we made at Avfun was the most interesting one was that we basically <laughs> simply and exported all the data from the database replaced all the user security like things that we wanted to get rid of out and then hosted the json in the database and just did a seed from it every time to re-put it in it kind of works but it's not the best solution and i keep meaning to update my snaplet data to carry on going with that i really have one final question before we wrap up if you could Take it from the beginning again, building with Redwood and user buy tools. What would be the one thing you'd do? So there's actually one more thing that I was thinking that would be awesome to have. And again, like it's more of a wish list 
I currently use prerender.io with in front of Nginx to do some uh, pre-rendering and meta tags and OG tags for single page applications and like such as Redwood. It would be awesome to have some sort of option where you can server-side render some net Redwood pages. And I think there's some movement in that. Um, and I know Danny's worked, done a lot of work on that uh, recently with some of the server-side work. So what's the issue with the current pre-render implementation? Like what's the limitations there and what do we need to add to get that? I believe the current implementation difference is that it does not support, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it's currently pre-rendering of cells is not supported and pre-rendering of routes with dynamic parts is not supported. Yeah, it's a bit hard to, to do that. Redwood can at least take steps more to how Next does their pre-rendering with get static props. So when you have the static props, then you'll be able to pre-render the cells. But obviously there's a little bit work to do there to get there. My hack that I'm still using is React Snap because that does do that because it uses a Chrome puppeteer, is it, uh, in the background to do it. Oh, interesting. Okay. It works, but it's not the best solution, but it's good enough right now. Is that similar to pre-render.io or is that or different? How is that different to sort of maybe like an external service that would crawl it and then store it in a cache for you? It's a script that basically just runs the website, waits for all the React to build. And then when it detects that there's no more HTML DOM changes, it will copy all the uh, HTML markdown into the Redwood tag inside the index.html. And then you basically just host that and tell React to rehydrate from that. Would that go through the database and then fetch that data? No, I don't think you can necessarily do it on logged in stuff. We use it on like CMS-y kind of stuff that doesn't matter if you're logged in. But yeah, it's definitely possible if you just need it on more like CMS-y stuff that you don't necessarily need to be logged in for. My use case is not, yeah, it's not for a logged in person. It's more, it does need to be a database. So for example, my use case usually is to just support OG meta tags. I don't know if you've ever run into this where, let's say if I ever find someone shares your donation link, and you want a nice kind of ever fund kind of type of, you know, OG image that with their custom company name plus ever fund and like some sort of donate text. And you want to like customize that per customer right now, that's not easy to do. And I've resorted to soft options like pre-render.io to use to do that. And that was one of the reasons we picked Next.js to host our donation links was so we could make these interesting OG graphs and especially allowing the user to edit the OG graph using a custom image. It's really good, but the only problem that I've saw with it is that your first user is still going to get the old graph and only when it's reloaded, it reloads in the background to the new one. So then the next person will get the new one, if that makes sense. Right. Interesting. Okay. So we were curious to get your wisdom that you would give your past self if you could tell yourself starting at this journey what stuff you would have liked to have known ahead of time or you know advice other people who may be starting this journey building some sort of like serious product with redwood yeah i, I think i've gone on an interesting journey with related to like auth providers and also deployment providers i believe i'm probably one of the people in the community that's probably tried out the most in each category and got like very quickly, like iterated and quickly prototype each solution and find out what worked for me. And I notice this quite a lot in the Redwood community too. People often get tripped up about both providers or deployment providers in terms of where to host. And Redwood right now is sort of touted as a serverless 
sort of framework, but even though it can be very well hosted on a serverful solution as well. So I actually started off with hosting on Versal and I started off with a different auth provider like Auth0. I tried Superbase and then I ended up coming back to Firebase as my default solution just because it fit my needs of what I wanted to do for my application. So I think if I was to go back, I would sort of really spend some like time to really prototype that as early as possible and get to that end flow of like, what do I want my deployment to look like? And potentially kind of really think about the application and where some of the pitfalls could be, where, what do I want to do with this application and how do I want to deploy it? And really go from start to finish, even with just like a very kitchen sink type of application and really think about authentication because it's such a key pillar of the application. But usually once you get it right, you're not usually touching it too much. You just got to get the foundation right and then you're good. It's just, you generally don't want to be changing it when you're there, when you have a hundred users in, in your application or whatever it is. Getting that right early on is I think key. I would say to myself, do that even earlier. <laughs> Yeah, Chris has been banging the server full drum for quite a while, and I've been getting a lot deeper into it over the last couple months and figuring out how to get a better deploy story for people such as yourself who want to go that server full route. So happy to hear that. That's working out for you. 100%, yeah. And I would recommend if anyone wants to like learn more about my journey, they can definitely listen to the Redwood talk I did on user vitals. And I talked a lot about, a lot about my journey on moving from serverless to serverful, and we currently host pretty much all of Redwood components. So the API, the website, even the embeddable widgets, that's all hosted on render, uh, even our database and everything. So, and it's a great solution for us. Yeah, we'll definitely link to that in the show notes. And why don't you let our listeners know also where they could find you, where they could find user vitals and all that. If you're interested in user vitals or you know a product manager or someone else who owns a product and is a SaaS founder, who could use user vitals definitely let, let them know to check it out it's at uservitalshq.com and uh, at uservitalshq.com join we have our early access request form there since we're in the early stages i'm personally onboarding every single person that comes through the door and doing a personalized onboarding to help them fit user vitals with their workflow of their own tools for customer support and success Awesome. We're really excited to have people building with Redwood. So thank you so much for going on this journey with us. And we're really excited to, to see these types of products be created. So definitely recommend everyone check out User Vitals. Great. Thank you. Yeah, it was great chatting with you guys. And have a good day, everyone. All right. Bye, guys. Yeah, I think uh, user vitals is kind of getting complex because of the integrations. Like just the more third-party people you integrate with, like there's more complexities to deal with. Everyone has like a different UI and API. Sounds like you need some steps in in your life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. There's, there's definitely some like...